Hello and welcome to the American Scottish Foundation podcast, episode number two. I'm your host, Jamie McGeechan, and I'm very glad for you to join me for this second instalment of our podcast series, focusing on news, events, conversation and music from Scotland and across the diaspora in North America. Thank you for all your kind comments on our first episode. It's great to hear from so many of you, and I'm excited to bring you these podcasts as we communicate and celebrate in our Scottish and American Scottish community together. On this episode, we'll feature a discussion between ASF President Camilla Hellman and John Bellisai, President of the Council of Scottish Clans and Associations, as they discuss the Scottish Highland Games, Scottish festivals in North America, and the role of Koska and the Lord Lion. But first up, some music. Fells Water are an ensemble from Boston, who I first heard performing in 2018 at the New Hampshire Highland Games, with instrumentation including whistles, flute, mandolin, cello and the Scottish small pipes, they weave a rich tapestry of Celtic influences together. Fellswater have performed at events including the Main Highland Games, the Royal Edinburgh Military Tattoo and the world-famous Festival Fringe in Edinburgh. Here are Fellswater with their track Shores of Caledonia. Your waters flowing clear 
Wasn't that wonderful? I'll be playing another song from Fellswater later in the show. Next up, here's the conversation between ASF President Camilla Hellman and John Bellasai, President of the Council of Scottish Clans and Associations. Good evening, John. I'm so glad that you, we have a chance to catch up. How are you, Camilla? Well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm hankered down as we all are. The podcast this evening is in fact taking a look at the power of the clans and the Highland Games and the difference between Scotland's approach to the Highland Games to the United States, where we seem to take it more as a festival. And I thought there was no better person than yourself to um, give an oversight to this and and an explanation to all that goes on um, through the Council of Scottish Clans and Associations and how it works so closely also um, with the clan chiefs back in Scotland. Uh, Sure, I'd be happy to to get into those subjects and and maybe some other uh, related subjects. TASCA was founded in 1976. Uh, it's a nonprofit membership organization, and it has a 501c3 status here, which is tax exempt in the United States, uh, federally uh, recognized as such. Uh, we're governed by an, an elected uh, uh, 13 member board, um, and I've been president since uh, 2015. We also have an advisory board of, uh, of some very senior opinion leaders from the Scottish American community, uh, Dr. Phil Smith, Bob McWilliam, and others. And it includes uh, some, uh, some top Scots, um, my own uh, chief, Sir Malcolm McGregor, um, uh, Dr. Bruce Dury, um, Lord uh, Andrew Dunrossel, um, and uh, Jamie Semple, among others. Uh, we have both individual and organizational members in Casca. Um, I want to talk a bit about the organizational members because I think that's where our uniqueness comes in. Um, a membership is open to any individual or organization uh, that supports our uh, mission uh, and is interested in the Scottish American diaspora and what it's all about um, and Scottish American heritage issues. Um, but most of our members, um, organizational members are clan and family societies. What do I mean by that? Um, uh, As I think everybody listening knows, uh, Scots are clannish, uh, both uh, in Scotland and in the greater diaspora in the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, wherever else you find them, which is really everywhere. Scots relate um, uh, to name and to family. my mother was McGregor. Her father emigrated from Scotland. Um, I'm a member of my clan society, the American Clan Gregor Society. And in that respect, I'm pretty typical of Scottish Americans who are into their heritage issues uh, in that they, they have affiliated with their clan societies. And there's about 120 of those in the United States. Uh, they're not unique to the United States. They also uh, operate in Canada and Australia and elsewhere. Um, but it's it's more of a of a phenomenon in the diaspora actually than it is back in Scotland. There are certainly Scots in Scotland who are active in their clan societies. But the typical attitude there is, my name is McGregor. I live in Scotland. Why do I need to join a clan society? Um, if you ask those questions to um, diaspora Scots, um, the answer is really very different, and that is that I want to affiliate with like-minded people. I want to participate in heritage organizations that 
uh, our active and heritage uh, uh, activities. Um, I want to uh, socialize with like-minded people, and I want to have a way to bridge back to my relatives in Scotland, uh, both those that I know and those that I don't know that I share a surname with, perhaps a uh, part of the country where my ancestors came from, and with my clan chiefs. So we in Costco try to facilitate all of that. Of the 120 clan societies, probably half of them are members of Costco. I think this, what you're talking about with the people becoming members of their clans, it's exactly the same as any of the old societies, whether it's St. Andrews or the St. George's, because all of these began as a way for people when they settled here to then be able to gather and feel uh, and gain strength from that. So Absolutely. it's, it's sure. a nat natural thing. Yes. And, um, you know, I'm a member of my St. Andrews Society, and I think probably most people who are active in Costco are also members of their St. Andrews Society uh, in their locality. And other organizations like your organization, the American Scottish Foundation. Um, the uniqueness about the Klan Society membership is really um, a kindred connection. And that is something that is very important to Diaspora Scots. It's important to Scots in Scotland to be able to talk to their their kin in the wider diaspora around the world, and we we work with others to try to do that. Um, you mentioned the Standing Council of Scottish Chiefs, and uh, in fact, they are our primary Scotland-based partner. So it's a very symbiotic relationship. We represent the clan societies, clan and family societies here in the States, and they represent the chiefs. Um, so there's a lot of dialogue back and forth uh, between the two organizations, and when chiefs attend Highland Games in America, which is very common. Um, we try to uh, connect with them, host them, get them to speak to our members. And uh, the Grandfather Mountain Highland Games in particular uh, stands out. I want to mention that because uh, we were formed there in uh, 1976, and we always have our annual general meeting, our AGM, at Grandfather Mountain in uh, North Carolina. Um, and naturally it comes up, why do we do it there? There are probably a hundred uh, Scottish games around the country in the United States. Uh, the reason is because Grandfather Mountain is in many respects the largest. It's certainly the best attended by clan societies. Typically there are over a hundred clan societies represented there during that weekend. So it makes sense for Costco to have its AGM there where people from our member organizations can just come over and, uh, and attend a meeting outdoors in a large tent and have the visiting chiefs uh, speak to our members, take questions, make presentations. We've been doing that for years. It works very well. Um, John, one of the things that one really has seen in the last few years is how active chiefs have become um, and um, coming over here so much more from Scotland, don't you think? And I think that maybe with the... Um, with social media and the internet, there seems to be a much greater interaction than there has been. Well, I think that's true. Um, most people feel that um, the distance, it was a time and it wasn't that long ago that if you emigrated to America or elsewhere uh, from Scotland, you probably didn't go home very much, if at all, you stayed in touch by uh, post and by telephone, but you probably didn't see your relatives back home much at all anymore. Uh, now they're only a plane ride away. And uh, the back and forth between Scotland and uh, uh, Scottish American organizations here in the States and elsewhere is constant. Um, we also have um, online communications and uh, telephonic communication. So it really is one large community. And, so, and as you say, the chiefs are coming here more and more. Most Scottish games in the States and probably elsewhere too feature one or two clan chiefs uh, or other senior members of clans from uh, the old country uh, who come over, they're recognized, they're, they participate, they speak. Um, and uh, it's really an opportunity, I think, for the Scottish diaspora to connect in a meaningful way with people who are, um, the heads of their organizations back home. And I say back home because we think of it as back home, even though, you know, I've, I'm, my connections are fairly recent. It was my grandfather. Some of our members, their connections are, go all the way back to colonial times. 
but they feel very connected to Scotland, uh, especially those that bear the surname. I was speaking to Jamie about the, the huge difference between um, a Highland Games back in Scotland to almost the festivals that we see occurring here. How do you think the Chiefs feel about that in the traditional way? Well, um, Scottish Games in America are certainly larger than they tend to be in Scotland, but the core elements are certainly the same. Uh, clans are represented in Scotland. It's usually the two or three or four clans from the neighborhood, um, from the Shire, from the county, uh, or maybe more. Um, here in the States, it's everybody. All the clan societies that want to attend can and many do, uh, but the heavy athletic events, the piping and dancing competitions that are features, key features of Highland Games in Scotland and always have been are uh, key features here in the States as well. Now, um, you know, music is a major piece of Scottish Games in the States. Uh, it certainly attracts the young people, uh, whether it's Celtic rock or the more traditional piping and drumming music, um, large bands attend, um, and that gives a festive air to it. Now, there's food and drink and there's vendors, and so in that sense, it kind of, there's something for everybody, and it is a festival, but the core part of it that makes it, I think, distinct from all other festivals, and there are, God knows, thousands of them in the States, is that the clans are represented in the traditional activities that go on at Highland Games, go on at Highland Games in the States as well. I think that the clan village um, is such a, a core element to the Highland Games. And there seem to be so many people who are here who want to discover their Scottish heritage. And Costco really um, plays a huge role in that when you are um, present at the Highland Games. We... Um one of the things that we, we're very proud of is, is our outreach uh, efforts to try to help um, anybody who's interested um, better understand their Scottish heritage. So we will um, have reference books at our tents. We'll have um, um, information sources that we pass out, certainly brochures and other materials. We tell them how to find their clan society online. Most have a website. And at large games like Grandfather Mountain, they're probably represented on the field, and we can tell them what number tent their, their clan society uh, is uh, on the field and send them over there to talk to them. So that's something we do at a number of games, the larger games around the country. And it's also something we do um, through our website, through our newsletter. Um, and Scottish Americans very much want to uh, understand the history of their, their name. Um, or perhaps it was their mother or one of their grandparents. Um, so if we help them uh, to understand that a little bit better and where to find more information, we've achieved our purpose. And have you an outstanding moment as president of Costco that stands out to you? That, um, th that special moment at a Highland Games or uh, when you saw something coming together in some special way? Well, one, one kind of pops, pops into my mind, uh, which was in 2015, which was the year I took over as president of the organization, which was at the Loch Norman Games uh, in, uh, in the South here in the States. Um, and guests of honor included my own chief, Sir Malcolm McGregor, who I had met and, and kind of knew, but I didn't know him all that well. And he was at the time the uh, convener of the Standing Council of Scottish Chiefs. So that was a big deal to have him uh, with us. And also with us at the time was uh, Lord Lyon Joseph Morrow. And uh, Dr. Uh, Morrow also uh, is of McGregor ancestry. So as my chief pointed out, here we were, uh, all of us, three of us McGregors, weren't supposed to be here. Uh, the motto of uh, Clan Gregor is McGregor, despite them, shall flourish forever. And most of your uh, listeners probably know the history of Clan Gregor, that uh, the name was proscribed and uh, every effort was made to wipe them out because of some, some things that they had, had done and participated in um, in the wild and woolly uh, events of the time back in the 1600s in Scotland. Um, but they were unsuccessful in wiping out McGregor. There was an awful lot of us around. 
And that, that, that day really stood out for me to be able to introduce my chief, uh, introduce uh, Lord Lyon uh, to our gathering there at, uh, at a conference we were holding at those games. The Lord Lyon has an exceptional role and he seems to be very active um, as Lord Lyon. John, could you um, explain a little bit to, to everybody the role of the Lord Lyon? Because the Lord Lion appears to be very active at this time with helping clans to establish who their clan chief might be. Uh, I don't know if people have realized how many clans don't have a chief or have been chiefless for a rather long time. Um, last year, I remember speaking with the Bairds who were on their way to Scotland to meet with the Lord Lion and they hadn't had a, um, a chief in place for 200 years plus and and the Buchanans uh, last year was celebrating at New Hampshire uh, when their chief was um, had been installed and they again they had been without a chief for so long. Lyon is, a, is an officer of the crown and he's a judge and and the office goes back many many centuries and among it, the very many things important things that Lyon does with regard to um, Scottish heritage, uh, is to recognize uh, clan chiefs when they take their office. Now, normally, um, that is a, um, a process by which uh, the eldest son or sometimes daughter of uh, the governing chief succeeds him or her. Uh, sometimes it's a brother or a collateral relative if there aren't immediate children, but sometimes, as you say, um, clans have been without chiefs for a long, long time, in some instances for several centuries, uh, because of um, illness, warfare, um, chiefs that went off to make their fortunes in, 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 in strange parts of the world and never came back and left no immediate descendants. And for a variety of reasons, there are probably 20, 30, 40 clans which are chiefless at the moment. There is a big effort, uh, and I think a lot of it is driven by the closeness we have uh, through communications and by DNA evidence and by the ability to, uh, to research uh, online genealogical records that weren't generally available. There's a big push now to get those clans, which still have organizations, uh, even though they don't have chiefs, to get them back in the official fold, if you will, and to have chiefs recognized. And that's a big part of what Lyon does. If there is a chiefless clan and an individual feels that they have the sufficient proofs to show that they have a blood connection to the last known chief, uh, that individual can petition to be recognized as the commander of the clan, which is a technical term, and in time, that individual can become the chief. And this Lord Lyon and his last two immediate predecessors have been accelerating that process, believing that it's a valuable and good thing for all clans to have a recognized official head. And so they're encouraging claimants to come forward. It's a legal process, but uh, it's also an emotional process for the people involved and for the clansmen and clanswomen around the world who um, celebrate the recognition of a new chief. Uh, the Buchanans just went through this last year after several centuries without a chief. Um, the Curries and a number of others. Um, and the process is ongoing. So uh, that's, that's something that really connects Lion Court to um, not only the chiefs, uh, but to the clan societies around the world, because most of these clan societies are very active in supporting candidates to get their, their paperwork together and uh, to submit their claim to Lion Court. It's a very interesting process. Um, and just uh, to round things off, COVID-19 is such an ongoing traumatic situation, and the Highland Games are so important to the area that's going to be hosting it. It's often the major driver economically for that area or for the organization who are hosting it. And also for the community as a whole, the clans and Pocoska. Um, so what is the feeling? Have you, could you comment on that a little bit? Well, um, as we're talking uh, here in the uh, second week and first week in May, um, states are beginning to open up uh, around the country. 
um, at a different pace from one place to the next. Um, and we can debate the wisdom of that, uh, but I think most people are anxious to get out of their homes, uh, resume a normal life as quickly as they can. Uh, certainly in the nice weather of the spring and the summer, when it's a traditional time for Highland Games, uh, we hope to be able to resume that as soon as we can. Uh, you're, you're right that a lot of the early games have been canceled uh, from the spring and into the summer um, because of the public health concerns, and they probably won't be held this year. Some of them are, are attempting to push their schedule back to hold them late in the year. And some games which, which have a late uh, seasonal um, schedule anyway, uh, have not canceled and uh, that are set for September and October and hopefully they'll go forward. So the hope is that even though we missed large part of the season, we can make it up. Uh, I think a lot of the clan societies are gonna be having their AGMs online through Zoom, um, which, uh, uh, or Skype, which is now a tool that's available to most people. Um, that's normally done at Highland Games, and this year that's probably, most of it is gonna be done electronically online. So that's the world we live in, but fortunately we have these communication tools and we're able to stay connected, and we will stay connected. And if, if one has, um, is a member of um, a clan or um, would like to explore more about, knowing more about COSCA, um, can they go to your website to learn more and keep up to date on all of this? Absolutely. www.cosca.scot, S-C-O-T, is our website. Um, we, uh, as I mentioned earlier, welcome uh, anybody uh, who's interested in Scottish heritage uh, into our membership as an individual and organizations that have a Scottish heritage uh, mission themselves, we're always looking for them to join. Certainly clan societies, but your own organization is a member. A lot of St. Andrews societies and Burns clubs are members. Um, so it's a large tent. And uh, you know, one of the benefits of Costco membership is to, is to be able to access the resources that put you in touch with uh, others uh, that bear your surname. Uh, or that share your heritage, your particular clan or family back in Scotland. Uh, that's what we do. And I, I think it's wonderful how one sees such a cross-section of ages enjoying and being involved with the clans. It's so important. And John, you brought such vitality to Costco, and we're very fortunate to have you leading that organization and helping us in this very important element of our diaspora. Thank you. Thank you, Camilla. It's always good to talk to you. And uh, of course, we, we do a lot of uh, activities together and I'm sure as soon as we can, we'll be out and about doing that again. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank Stay you. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay well. Good night. And that was ASF President Camilla Hillman and John Bellasai, President of the Council of Scottish Clans and Associations. Thank you both for that conversation on the Highland Games and the role of COSCA as a means to bring people of Scottish descent and those with an interest in heritage together. It really does sound like such a valuable asset in building community and strengthening the bonds that we share together. And now for some more music. I first came across Tullamore last year on the Scottish Festival Circuit and I have to say I was so impressed with them. Blending a range of influences, they're very passionate about Scottish music and their roots. This song, The Green and Blue, was originally performed by the hugely renowned Battlefield Band and was written by Alan Reid. Time to move on Look on what 
to Glasgow And all your tomorrows The future lies there And it's waiting for you As the green cross is over To meet with the blue And what was the sense When the wee ones were crying The cries of the hungry No sense to remain No prayer can recover A sister or brother So farewell to Vermona The praying is done Don't turn to look on The green hills of Antrim behind you it's time to move on look onwards to Glasgow and all your tomorrows the future lies there and it's waiting for you as the green cross is over was Tullamore there with The Green and the Blue, a fantastic rendition of a really gorgeous song. 
In my own personal experience, as a musician and festival fan, I've attended Highland Games in Scotland, including the Inverarie Highland Games, the Dundonald Highland Games, the Creef Highland Gathering and the Braemar Highland Games. Each of these events are absolutely stunning, and Scotland has so many wonderful Highland Games that take place across the year. Of course, this year is, well, a wee bit different. But, as we look forward to next year in 2021, I'm sure the games will be even more popular with locals and visitors alike. Having attended Highland Games and Scottish festivals in both Scotland and in the US, there are of course, as you might expect, some differences in how communities celebrate the culture and heritage. But one thing that isn't different is the level of passion and real sincere appreciation that people have for the Highland Games and Scottish festivals. In the US, I've had the pleasure of attending the Ohio Scottish Games, the New Hampshire Highland Games and Scottfest in Oklahoma, each one of them different in their own way, but all fantastic celebrations of Scotland and the Scottish-American diaspora. I've experienced wonderful live music, Highland dancing, brilliant Scottish brides, pies and vegetarian haggis, and although, of course, I hope one day for the meat haggis. I've talked to people who run ancestry and heritage societies, proud representatives of their clan, all proud to know and share the history of where they come from and their Scottish roots. That's one thing for me. As a Scot, I've found incredibly heartening attending Scottish festivals in the US. It's just lovely to see the passion that people have for Scotland. And of course, that makes me feel very much at home. Although we might not be having many Highland Games or Scottish festivals this year, we can certainly look forward to next year. It's going to be great when it comes. Next up, we have a song from what I would consider one of the the legends of the, the Scottish music scene here. And his name is Ed Miller. You may be familiar with him. Ed has been hailed as one of the finest singers to ever come out of the Scottish folk song revival. And it's one of Scotland's best singing exports. Originally from Edinburgh, he has for many years now been based in Austin, Texas, where he earned graduate degrees in folklore and geography at the University of Texas. In addition to having recorded 10 CDs of Scottish songs, Ed is a tour leader, speaker, radio host and teacher. He's much sought after for concerts, clubs, festivals, Highland Games, burns, suppers, lectures and workshops. This is Ed Miller with The Lads of the Fair. And let the brandy cheer ye When the road be fife to Falkirk's lang and cold and wet and weary My trade it is the weaving In the bonny tune or leaving And I'll drink to the health of the farmer's dames Who'll buy my cloth the morn For you can see them all The lads of the fair Lads of the fort and the carrion water Working lads and lads we gear Lads would sell you the provost daughter Soldier back be the German wars Peddlers up be the borders And lassies we are aye for mere than the kites At the Tristan Fair and Falkirk Oh, Joppy, lead the pony From the path is steep and stony And the free lang weeks for the isle of sky And the beasts of thin and bony and we'll buy ourselves a chiller floor And we'll drink to the lads who'll buy our kai And folk up to the morn For you can see them all, the lads of the fair Lads of the fourth and the carron water Working lads and lads we gear Lads would sell you the provost daughter Soldiers back with the German wars Peddlers up through the borders And lassies we are nigh from there and the kai At the Tristan Fair and folk up. Oh, stand here and I'll show you 
there's the tin below ye. But you'd best wait here in the van the neck for the night watch to know ye. My brother, he's a plumin, and I'm for the fiend new man. And we'll drink to the place of the harvest corn and folk at tin the morn. For you can see them off, the lads of the fair, lads of the fort and the carrion water. Working lads and lads we give, lads which sell you the provost daughter. Soldiers back for the German wars, peddlers up for the borders, and lassies we are knife and mare than the kite. the price them fair and folker. That was the wonderful Ed Miller there with Lads O' The Fair. I had the pleasure of meeting Ed last year and he really was such a gentleman. A great performer and a captivating storyteller. Very much keeping the tradition alive of storytelling and folk music in the US today. We're going to have another song now from Fellswater, who we heard earlier in the show. This song is called Leaving Friday Harbour.
wasn't that absolutely lovely? That was Fells Water there with Leaving Friday Harbour. I was very pleased when Ian McPhail, friend of the ASF and member of Whiskey Kiss, got in touch with me just a couple of days ago. Ian is a fantastic musician who founded Whiskey Kiss, who are a Scottish band who tour all around the world, and we've been very, very glad to have them perform at some ASF events, including the, the Bryant Park concerts as part of New York Tartan Week. Ian McPhail has done so much for the Cayley and to progress it forward into a new modern form. And I know that we're planning in the coming weeks to have a program that will deal with that and discuss all the different ways the Cayley has developed. Um, there's also, alongside that, a production that's being put together by Noisemaker. So maybe we'll try to bring them all together and uh, have a discussion around that. And we're going to be finishing off, you said, with some music from Whiskey Kiss, which is I uh, look forward to hearing. Before that, I just wanted to take a, um, a moment to, on this the 75th anniversary of the end of the Second World War, VE Day, um, to recognize our co-founder, who is known to everybody as Lady Natalie Douglas Hamilton, um, some early work of hers that she did during the war. And she was the founder of Bundles for Britain, which is an initiative that started in 1939 by Natalie Wales Latham, as she was then in New York, which provided knitted goods for British troops during the Second World War. And the program grew to be over 975 branches throughout the United States and almost a million contributions, not just of knitted uh, goods. She then went on to, to send ambulances and all sorts of goods because she became more and more charged up with moving this forward. And for this, at the end of the war, she received the CBE. She was the first woman to receive such an honor from the Queen. Uh, and it was later in the early 50s that she met and married Lord Malcolm Douglas Hamilton and came over to the United States. And with him, uh, they began the American Scottish Foundation. And so for us at the foundation, we've always been immensely proud of what she did. However, last a few months ago, we received a call from her grandchildren and they have donated the papers from Bundles for Britain to us. We've got a large trove of all of the office records. We haven't gone through them yet, but we look forward to being able to understand what the collection is and then share it with everybody because it really was a tremendous war effort. And uh, I think it will, be, it will be wonderful to take a moment to recognize all the people who were involved in it. So on this day, I just thought we'd take a moment to recognize that. Thank you, Jamie, for putting this podcast together again today. And I'm really looking forward to the weeks ahead. Thank you. Thanks very much, Camilla. And thanks to you all for listening to the ASF podcast with me, Jamie McGeehan. The podcast is released on the second and fourth Monday of every month. And I look forward to joining you all again soon. On our next episode, we'll be talking all about whisky, surely one of Scotland's greatest gifts to the world. If you would like to donate to the ongoing work of the American Scottish Foundation, please visit our website at americanscottishfoundation.com and look for the initiative section. Keep up to date with us on our website and across social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email at American Scottish Foundation at gmail.com. We're always glad to hear from you with your news and updates. Until next time, take care. To play us out today, we have a song from Whiskey Kiss, who we heard about earlier in the show. This is Whiskey Kiss with their song, Helicopter. <laughs>